I just think you can't ignore automation. It's here, like you say, it's, you know, there's more and more AI, there's more and more smarts out there. There's, if I'm not using it, I think it's a bigger risk than if I am. So I think my messaging is pretty good, but even if my messaging is not bang on, the risk of me not trying stuff is greater because there's so many other people in the market spending the same message and getting out there. That if I'm not out there using these tools, then I'm just going to miss out on that revenue. Welcome to the Boss Podcast, the best of social selling. Your host, Mark McGinnis, Australia's number one social seller, author of Tactical Pipeline Growth and B2B Sales Trainer, brings you expert opinion, tactics, and discussion to help you get more out of your time on social. Thanks for tuning in to The Boss Podcast, the best of social selling. Today's episode is very different to the normal approach we take with our conversations. It's a bit longer and it's a lot less structured than usual. Usually we work hard to give you one or two key takeaways so you can be more successful using social to help you grow your business or your pipeline immediately. This week, it's a bit different. This week, we're talking about the elephant in the room. The elephant that is automation or LinkedIn bots or AI. Whilst these technologies are officially banned via LinkedIn's terms and conditions, it's clear to me many thousands of users are adopting some form of automation to help them make the most of their social platform activity. In my research for this episode, I found dozens of tech tools that could visit profiles, auto like content auto-follow, automatically connect, send connection requests, send messages, send follow-up messages, schedule content, scrape email addresses, guess your mobile number, find your personality type, and even place a call to action on your website or your blog and drag viewers back to my blog or my website. How do you know automation when you see it? Well, if you've ever received a connection request that went something like this, I noticed we're in the same industry and thought we should connect, or it looks like we have many mutual connections, so I thought we should connect, or even I viewed your profile and thought you were an expert in your field and would like to connect to explore more mutual opportunities. Then you've encountered automation. Believe me, no one is sending those spammy connection invitations one at a time. I'll tell you that for free. Some automation seems to be okay with LinkedIn, such as schedulers, and some of it seems to be not okay. Yet, when you consider what we automate in other areas of our sales and marketing toolkits, it seems at odd to what is the norm and what's increasingly the case. In this episode, I'm joined by a couple of guys. One is an expert in marketing automation, and the other is a sales guy using LinkedIn automation successfully to help him book sales meetings day by day. He will share with us what he does, how he does it, and what results he gets. To reduce the chance he'll get in trouble from LinkedIn, we've disguised his voice and changed his name. I've tried to keep this conversation a straight-out discussion about automation, neither endorsing or criticizing its use, rather simply trying to uncover the realities of what's happening and get some reality around the processes people are using and the results they're achieving or they're not achieving. Before we head across to this episode, I'm on a drive to get this valuable information out to as many sales and marketing professionals as possible. So I'm going to need your help. If you find these episodes useful or interesting, please take the time to tell others about this podcast and like, share, and rate us on your streaming service and social platform of choice. I really do appreciate your help with spreading the word about the Boss Podcast. Now let's head over to this very unusual episode. So we've got a couple of guests on today. One of them is a regular guest, so Stuart P. Turner. Welcome to the podcast yet again. Hello. Thanks very much. Great to be back, Mark. And Mr. Turner, you're the, I've actually got owner slash founder slash director of Linda, lynda.com, but maybe you can provide me what actually is going on there. Uh, no, that sounds about right, to be honest, yeah. So uh, there's myself and uh, my partner who, who founded the business, uh, 
a few years ago. And now we would like to think it become one of the, uh, the best automation tools that runs across uh, LinkedIn's sales navigating tool. Okay, cool. So you've got real world experience from you know lots of your customers using LinkedIn automation, right? I do, yes. We've got a, a global customer base that I can uh, obviously can't talk specifics, but I'm happy to chat about and give you some use cases from. So the disclaimers are in already. Love it. <laughs> Get that early. <laughs> Very early. And we're joined by uh, Mr. Anonymous, who we'll call Andy. Hello, Andy. G'day, Mark. How are you going? Good. I, was, I thought you were going to back out. Not <laughs> even say hello. <laughs> So Andy is a user of automation. It's, you sound like a drug user. You know, a user of automation on, on LinkedIn, and he's agreed to come on and share his experiences and how that fits into his sales process. So thank you very much for coming on and being a bit transparent, mate. Yeah, thanks so much, Mark. You know, hopefully I'll, I'll see a bit more context around how I'm using it. Hopefully it you know, come through and be valuable for you. So just give us a, a quick outline. So what is your role you know, what sort of stuff do you do on a day-to-day basis? Like you're in sales, correct? Yeah. So I'm an individual contributor to a small, medium-sized business in the tech space, SaaS, SaaS products. Uh, I don't have a BDR. It's just me doing the entire sales process from, you know, discovery and, and drumming up leads via prospecting, responding to leads that come in via marketing, getting them right, right through the process of assessing our products through the signing the contract and buying. Okay. Awesome. Love it. So we're going to ask you to share exactly how you're using automation as we go along. So again, thank you very much Good to be here. for coming in. So we just want to uncover what's working and what's not and what some of the challenges are, et cetera. So I guess I'm not really sure where to start. Maybe we should start by just outlining some of the types of automation so that we can get some clarity around that. So as far as I can see, there's a couple of buckets of different types of automation. So you've got that content, let's call it scheduling type stuff, you know, like Hootsuite, HubSpot, Recur Post, those types of things where you can present your or prepare your content in advance and create that's a scheduling tool. So my understanding is they're legal. Is that your understanding of that, Stu? Well, I think, yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, this is an interesting point to start for me because they are, you know, if you want to look at it in, in a legal sense, they're all technically illegal because I think LinkedIn are fairly sort of explicit in the fact that they don't really want people to automate like anything. However, I would say I'd probably characterize them as more they're acceptable because, you know, nobody can be bothered to sit there manually scheduling their posts forever. Or maybe some people can, but I think if you're trying to do it any sort of efficient or scalable manner, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Then, you know, like I mean I don't is it too early to dive off into, you know, sort of uh, points of view on these things, Mark? Or do you want to are you happy for me to give you the viewpoint on automation now? Let's see what Andy's got to say. He's got something to say. What have you got there, Andy? I was going to jump in there. Like LinkedIn have their own post-automated scheduling technology. So LinkedIn Elevate, which is a LinkedIn product sitting on top of Sales Navigator and, and LinkedIn itself, allows you to share and, and post stuff. So it's kind of a bit of a, I'm sure it's frowned upon by LinkedIn because they've got their own version. But otherwise, it's, it's pretty common, I think, to have that ability to post content out to your network more broadly. It's a pretty standard thing to have. I don't know if we're going down that overview, like you said, Stu, but I do think it's almost a little bit, you know, if I look at all the, the people, it, it's quite transparent who's doing it. But if you look at younger BDRs that get fed stuff by their own marketing departments, it's often quite stock standard content and, and, and not that powerful. Whereas I, I know a lot of sales leaders tend to st- share some stuff that's much more targeted, I believe. But, and obviously it's come out via the same methodology, but I think it depends on how much content you've got. You think that the, the lower level BDRs or BDMs, SDRs are scheduling content through scheduling tools? Is that right? Yeah, and being fed the content by their their marketing departments versus creating it themselves. So, like personally, I don't I don't use content scheduling tools because I don't produce enough content myself for it to be worthwhile, and I don't really want to be sharing just stock standard stuff that comes through from my marketing department fed to me, and we don't have a big enough marketing department. To be able to feed me content like that either. <laughs> yeah, Stu, what, what have you got? Well, I was just going to say, like, I think you've raised a few pretty interesting points there, um, Andy, because the exactly as you said, there's a kind of that tension between sales and marketing that we all pretend doesn't exist, I think really comes to the fore in this um, arena. And the, and the other thing is that gap in LinkedIn's tools, which you're talking about, like they've got their own, you know, I mean, obviously, as you said, Mark, I'll sit on the fence. I'm not going to say Elevate's good or bad, but they have their own, you know, publicly post scheduling tool. But we, 
the reason we actually started building Blender in the first place is because there was a gap in the sales tools that we, you know, felt should be filled. And I assume we had exactly the same problem as you. We wanted to, we wanted to reach out to people. We want to, you know, be able to communicate with people at a great scale, but it's just basically impossible given LinkedIn's current tool set. But uh, yeah, going back to what you were saying about the sales and the marketing use case, I think it's, as you were saying earlier, it's really acceptable for people to publicly schedule content that goes out in the feed, which is largely like pretty shit because it either doesn't speak to a sales use case or it's just, you know, churned out because a lot of marketers don't have time to really dig into really personalizing content for specific cohorts or buyers or, or whatever um, salespeople may be looking at that they're not. Um, but then strangely, it's it's really, you know, frowned on to automate direct communication, even though in other channels, that's perfectly fine. Like if you were going to look at email, that's a channel where automation is essentially expected because you wouldn't expect someone to sit and send, you know, thousands of the same email every day. And yet on LinkedIn, people are like, oh, that's suddenly an automated message because, you know, Jesus, I want you to write it out yourself, even though it might be exactly the same as the one you've just written to someone else. It's just... I don't know, it's a bit of an interesting existential challenge for the network, I think, at the moment. It is, and I do wonder whether, you know, LinkedIn are saying that these things are against the terms and conditions so that they can develop their own or they can keep the platform a bit more to themselves, for want of a better word. Who knows? As far as scheduling is concerned, you know, we've been able to schedule social media posts across lots and lots of platforms for a long time. So I personally use Recur Post, which is a great tool that allows me to, I've got like 100 articles not all written by me, but like 100 articles that I like to share. And I put them into Recur Post and then they post those at the time, a predetermined time with predetermined pretext loaded into LinkedIn, but mostly on Twitter for me. And I find that to be valuable because then I don't need to go and schedule out my content. It's already done for me. And, you know, none of this is supposed to be an endorsement for any of these suppliers, by the way. Okay. So just for clarity, I I know that this is against the terms and conditions of LinkedIn, and I just want to say up nice and early, I have copped a warning from LinkedIn for the overuse of automation. Too so, good, Mark. Too good. Uh, <laughs> so, well, you know, like let's be like I actually got I got lazy. So you know, I was using I think I was using Duck Soup at the time, and which is a, an automated tool to go and f- and look at people's profiles. So typically. If I'm involved in you know some training, I would go and visit my trainee's profile. So let's say I'm working with a large organization, ABC, and they've got 250 salespeople that I might be conducting a training program with. I would use DuckShoot to go and you know visit their profiles over a, over a day or two. That's a great way to, to interact with people. And I just wound that up too high and got a warning off LinkedIn. So Stu, have you got a similar story or... Well, I was actually just going to, I was just going to throw in there. I think this is where there's, um, you know, not to get into trying to sort of reverse engineer the psychology of the LinkedIn sort of management team. But I think were I there, which I now will do, even though I said I wasn't going to do that. If I was there, there's, I think there's certain things that I would be happy for people to look at automating and certain things that I wouldn't. And then um, I, if I was running LinkedIn, I'd be like, right, you want people actually coming to the network and interacting with each other regularly, right? Because that's what makes every social network run and and make money. Mm -hmm. Um, But where I think they struggle from a business point of view and from a network interaction perspective is if you're using stuff like, well, let's not name names, but if you're using any of the the less favorable tools, should we say, that are like, you know, kind of Chrome extensions, not very secure, things that sit on top of the LinkedIn network and affect the user experience. I wouldn't be very happy about people using those things because it directly impacts LinkedIn itself. And any tools that just harvest data out of the network, I, I wouldn't be super happy about. But I think tools that allow you to automate in ways that are now you know acceptable and, and required to keep people coming back to the network, they look at differently, even though they might say other things publicly. And that's where, to me, you know, like stuff like messaging or chat-based automation. This is all like it's a huge industry around chatbots and stuff now. Email automation is massive. Marketing automation is a huge industry. It's just the sales industry seems to be in a different space there. And you've got to be like, you know, you have to assume there's, you know, there's people inside LinkedIn who are looking at all this stuff and being like, well, look, we can't, you know, stay, stave off the tide forever. And yeah, I think if you're doing things that, that basically don't damage the actual user experience, I would suggest they'd probably be happy or turn a bit of a blind eye or be keeping an eye on people that are doing that. Whereas, yeah, the ones that are just sort of there to, I suppose, just focus around, um, you know, making life easy for people that are a bit lazy, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be happy with. I don't know whether that's a fair assessment or not. That's, uh, that's how I've been looking at it. Yeah. Gentlemen, I want you to have a think about what sort of results have been 
able to be achieved. So have a think about that. But just before we jump into that, just let me give the listeners some comfort around our credibility. So on my personal side, the automations that I've used at some point since 2016, the list goes like this autopilot, which is now defunct and closed down by LinkedIn, Duck Soup, LinkedIn Helper, Meet Leonard, Hunter, which is an email and phone number scraper, Buffer, which is a scheduler, Social B, which is a scheduler, HubSpot and Hootsuite, which is a scheduler. I no longer use any of those. My current sales stack, for want of a better word, is SalesNav Teams. I think everybody knows that that's a pretty solid piece. And of course, that's owned by LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Although not, or not strict automation, but it's, it makes LinkedIn a CRM. Recurpost, like I mentioned, that's predominantly weighted towards Twitter, but it does post 11 posts, five posts a week, sorry, to LinkedIn for me. Snipply or, or snip.ly, which is a really cool tool that allows me to post something on social media from somebody else's blog, but have a call to action on that blog back to my website or back to my LinkedIn page. So that's a really cool one. Lusha, which many people would know about, L-U-S-H-A, which allows me to find email addresses and mobile numbers, and you're going to pay for that one. Crystal Nose, which is another cool tool, which gives me visibility into people's personality types. So, you know, for example, I would be able to say that, you know, Stu's this type of personality, and it provides me with some clarity around how I should communicate with Stu what my message, how long my messaging should be, that sort of thing to try and increase the chances of that engagement. And then lastly is the video piece, which is Bonjoro. Just so people know that, you know, we've actually tried a bunch of stuff, you know, we're not just making these things up. What sort of results are achieved? So I remember speaking to a wealth manager or a mortgage broker where I challenged him on his outreach because it was terrible. I said, mate, you're clearly using automation to send out these messages and he said, I'll be happy to talk to you on the phone. So we, I got him on the telephone and, was, and challenged him around the damage that he was doing to his personal brand. And his mindset was, I'm actually not concerned about you know, my personal brand. This is just another mode of marketing for me. And if people don't want to engage, they don't need to. And, but he was getting a 12% response rate on a standard mortgage-broking, you know, what you would call it, consider to be an automated pitch. You know, hey, Mark, lots of people are looking to refinance their, their mortgage right now. If you'd like to grab five minutes to have a conversation about if we can save you some money, here's my link. And he's getting 12% response rate. So, Stu, you're a marketer. I think that's pretty strong, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, this is it's interesting. It's interesting to me, right? Because I'm, um, as, uh, as you well know by, by this point, Mark, a bit of a you know, perfectionist. So I think I tend to overcomplicate things. But if you want to just cut through all the, the sort of bollocks of marketing, right, you can just go straight to, if you just want to, find people who are ready to do something right now. And this is where, you know, the old spray and pray approach can actually yield results, as, as I'm sure this guy's finding. You, you just, you know, you fire out that one really concise message. And if you don't care if people are a bit, as you were, you know, like what you're doing, um, you're going to hit some of the right people at the right time, right? It's not very scientific, but it, I'm sure it works if you have a big enough pool of people. But then, you know, as, I think as you pointed out, Mark, if you... If you do have some concern about you know how you're perceived, then that's where I would say that's not a not a great approach. And this is the challenge of social, right? Because it's obviously all tied to your profile and your name and you as a person. So I think it's it's interesting for me because then flip side of this is like, well, someone sends you a message, you're not interested. Are you going to remember that person in that message like in an hour? Probably not. So maybe he's got the right idea. But Stu, if I go, so if you send me a, a spammy, shitty message, right, it does stay with you because next time you send me a connection request in six months' time when, you know, the smoke's cleared, guess what's still there? Well, that's your true. message. Yeah. But it's not like your inbox. What do you think, Andy? There's a little workaround there as well, Mark, which is you can send your messages from LinkedIn or from Sales Navigator and they don't always come through to the same spot in the inbox of the other person. So... Um, I think, I don't know, you know, there's, there's ways to game the system a little bit there. And I think, um, I think it raises an interesting point is, which is, you know, what, what are you trying to get out of your automation? And he's obviously just going for the spray and pray approach, like you said, Stu. Uh, Mark, a lot of your automation is more towards that front end, you know, profile development piece. I mean, I've, over the last 12 months, I've probably been somewhere in the middle of the two, right? So um, obviously, I, I, it is my personal brand. I'm, I'm very focused on building that. But I haven't been as focused, in, in, which is why I haven't used those social posting tools as much. I think that's something for my next 12 months and, and selfishly what I'm hoping to learn from you guys here today and, and while I'm listening in uh, is around that, that personal branding development piece. But then 
because of there's only one of me. I mean, there's a, there's another sales team, but for the territory that I've got, there's only one of me. There's only so much I can do. I'm focusing a lot of my time and effort on the high touch, high, you know, doing that work myself. But then I want that spray and pray stuff to be going on in the background, just so the odd additional lead comes through from that approach too. Does that make sense? Hey, let's take a quick break and take care of a little bit of business. We'll be right back. Video messaging is huge right now. Mark reports his very best message response rates are coming from video messaging. And Mark chooses to use Bonjuro as his video message supplier. Because Bonjuro is now a supporter of the Boss Podcast, they have given listeners a massive 20% off any of their plans. Simply add BOSS20 at the checkout. That's B-O-S-S-2-0. Give Bonjuro a go and increase your response rates by 300%. Go to Bonjuro.com. That's B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com. Okay, let's get back into the podcast. Yeah, so what sort of results are you finding, Andy? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't have the, the problem is I don't have the data, and, and I find that really frustrating with Sales and Navigator and, and LinkedIn is that you don't get the same data as you get from your email sending stuff. Stu, see your hand pop up there. Uh, well, I was just uh, I was just going to dive in on the on the data point, Andy. Like, I think um, we, uh, I mean, again, this is one of the interesting things that we've been really pushing to solve is exactly that. And I've to give you guys some context, like, because I obviously use my own tool and various other tools as well to to run stuff. Like, we get. Um, based on my own process, anywhere from you might get 10, 20% response rates from some stuff right up to like 60%, depending on exactly to your point, Andy, what it is you're trying to achieve. So what stuff gives you 60%? What stuff? Well, I'll give, I'll give you a as much of an example as I can share uh, without giving away specifics. <laughs> so, Look, I understand you're both in difficult positions here, gents, so just do the best that you can, but, but people... You know, saying sometimes you get good results and sometimes you don't, it's not going to help anybody. You know, we need- <laughs> right, yes, yes, little aphorism, but sometimes it's good, sometimes it's shit. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you the top and the bottom end, right? So the process, as you rightly noted, Mark, uh, being, a, being a marketer at heart, the process I follow is, you know, you find, you find your audience, you then make that as specific as possible, and then... I'm all about building building the process, which I'm sure uh, you know is, is familiar territory for you as well, Andy. Where what I find works is not just having a want to reach X number of people to to give them this, like break down that journey into as small a sort of number of parts as you as you can. Sorry, no, as into a smaller number of sort of sections, so multiple parts as you can. Where I've seen really high response is if, uh, for example, last year I was running a running a just a campaign. Um, on Linda just to connect to marketers because I was conducting some market research uh, and I wanted to meet more marketers. Simple. Do I want to sit there sending the same message to every market that I want to connect to? No. So I wrote them a connection request with a message and then just a thank you saying thanks for connecting. And I think I was sending a third message like a week or two later with the survey that we were running. But that got a super high connection rate. It was like, I think like 40-ish percent from memory connection rate, like rate back and then the actual response rate was uh, was also really high like it was in the region of 30 or 40 percent from this specific example but that was because you know i was reaching out with a message saying i'm a marketer you're a marketer like let's you know i like to meet other marketers to sort of share about marketing it's like pretty low bar reason to connect um, and i seem relevant hopefully and then i wasn't really asking for anything because when i actually sent them something else all i wanted to know was what they knew or what they thought about stuff so it's just you know being specific and managing people's expectations and then avoiding that situation that you guys were talking about earlier where people think that you're going to do the old, you know, bait and switch and then suddenly try and sell a fucking, you know, car insurance or something when you uh, when you sit around it a week. Mm. So, Andy, you've got some a different thought or a different process on connections, haven't you? Yeah, and, and I, I actually went through and um, had a look at the data I do have from the last little, like, um, little play that I've just done this last week. So... I think it was about seven business days, 1,072 connection requests went out. I don't put an, a note in that at all. So no, 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 just a connection. Um, and I'd base that on actually the world I'm in, in this, the SaaS space, there's, oh, hey, I'm going too deep here. Let me, let me pause a second. There was an article I read which basically, <laughs> there was an article I read which basically suggested that um, you get a higher response rate if you don't put in a connection request. I don't know if it's true, but I thought it's worth a crack at least. And I'm kind of A-B testing at the moment. I'm going to 
the next slot, I'm going to put a, a note with it, just a really simple one. But I think that point you made, Stu, is valid is you don't want to be asking for anything because it scares people off. So it's more of just a, I'm connecting with you because I'm in the same type of space. The way that I've got that first list of a thousand people was really focused on the industry specific and and role specific. So it's not a stupid like it's not just everybody. It's a it's a pretty specific thousand people within geography, location, and 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 um, industry and that kind of thing. I sent out about a hundred emails a day, invites a day. Of those, and I've just gone through done this before it started. I've had another ten come in since we've been talking. But I had uh, 388 accepted, so it was about a 36% acceptance rate off no note. Of those, yep. I'm then waiting a couple of days, and I'm sending through another kind of generic message, but giving them a bit of value. So we've got like webinars and stuff that we put on, can be reasonably generic, but they are targeted enough for this audience. So with the two-day delay, of the 388 that are accepted, 129 have been sent a message so far, so 33% of those. Just to read out the message, it's like, Yep. Great to be connected. I try and share things that are valuable with my network quite regularly. If you haven't already, come and check this webinar out. Here's a link. And then I drop some names in there. We're partnering with these people, just a bit of social proof in there. Uh, we're going to be discussing these topics. Lovely. Um, of those 129 that went out, I can't actually track how many sign up because it comes through to our, like our marketing channels that way. But I've got, in my own territory personally, I've got 61 registered for that webinar. And I would, you know, just going through and looking at who was already in the system, I'd say about 20% of those have come directly from that outreach I did. Okay. So that's about 10% of those. So 20% of those registered would be about 12 and 12 would be 10% of the messages. Something like that. So that's, you know, that's not too bad, you know, of a thousand connect requests, 12 people are now coming to that webinar, which is going to show them value. They're, they're, I know they're kind of closer in that buying stage. And then I can have follow-ups off the back of that that are really relevant and get a great conversation started. So I think it's important that we place Stu's 40% acceptance. You know, you've got 36. So I would send out 50 connection requests manually every week, and I would get an 80% success rate, acceptance rate. Mm -hmm. Easy. Easy. Stu? Well, I was just going to say there's a couple of interesting points there as well, Mark. So I think, like, the thing is, if you're saying you're going to send out, you know, again, depending on what you're trying to achieve, you can manually send out those, you know, was it 50? Did you say you were, you were sending out? Me? Yeah. I'm not sending 50 deliberately. I'm looking for, you know, I'm sending 50 as I find them during the week, but it would be at least 50. Yeah, right. Okay. So like, okay. you know, like what, I think what you always have to, to marry up is, um, again, going back to what we were saying at the start, the, the use case and the, the balance of time. Because um, given my various commitments, like, you know, I, I mix, obviously, just to make this clear as well, like manual sending things out with the automated stuff as well. So like, it's not just, you can't just rely solely on automation to, uh, to do everything. But yeah, it just, you know, for me, I think, again, based on what Andy was saying, there's ways to link all this together that achieves the outcomes you want and also just saves you a huge amount of time that you can then spend on what to me is the more valuable activity of actually engaging with those people and kind of thinking about what it is that you want to get to know about them or do with them. Um, yep. And getting connected to them, it's like, you know, it's, it's important. But I think if you, as with our use case, we want to build an audience of people that we can both learn from and, and talk to. Yeah, I just think the, the, the time that I could spend manually connecting with those people versus the time I could then spend trying to actually engage with them, um, to me, is, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a no-brainer. So, yeah, it's, it's just... Uh, so, so that's a no-brainer pro-automation Oh, totally, yeah. And I think oh, okay. going back to going back to Andy's point, you just got to test everything because there's this huge, you know, there's always people that are happy to sit on social all day, like waxing lyrical about whether a message makes more difference or no message or whatever. But I'm just a big advocate of just testing everything and like never get trapped in your own sort of, you know, presumptions about what is or isn't going to work. Yeah. I saw a big debate about this the other day from someone who I follow who works at LinkedIn, who was all, you know, kicking off about the fact that the, this person hates getting a, you know, contrived connection request with a message and it's all, you know, mega offensive. And I was like, why, like, why are you wasting your fucking time being offended about it? Just ignore it if you don't want to connect with somebody. And, you know, if people want to automate that stuff, then obviously they're not the right people for you to connect with and vice versa. So I, just, I don't think, I think there's a lot of big drama about it. It's totally unnecessary to be honest. Mm. I like that little snippet there. Yeah, Andy, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on that? That's a big point, Mark. I, you know, I'll send every time I speak with somebody in a sales cycle, I'll send them a connect request right after the meeting as well. I get a hundred percent acceptance of those. You know, maybe not hundred, but very close to. 
Um, and it's not like I'm not doing those targeted, tailored outreaches as well. And those ones are having that high conversion, but I can't do it at the same scale I can do with the automation in the back end. And now my network's growing. They're relevant people in the industry I'm trying to sell to that is now seeing my posts and my shares and, and you know, I'm raising my profile up. You know, so it's, it's, it's not a one or the other. I think it's a, a mixture of both that really makes a difference. So you've put 350-odd extra people in your network, which I think is a valuable thing to have done, particularly when you consider that they're inside your target market. So there's no denying that that's a valuable outcome. If I was to be a prick and say, well, you know, getting 12 people registered to a, to a webinar, I think I could get 12 people registered to a webinar pretty quickly without automation. I think I think it's the point is you, you can do the other side of that as well, right? So that you know I can I can also be doing the um, the webinar is not the point. The webinar is just a tool that's in the in the uh, cycle of there. But I can be doing the twelve cold yeah. calls and getting twelve meetings as well at the same time as those twelve additional people are coming to the webinar and, and moving on to meetings. I do think that one of the big problems with automation is people just do it because they can, and there's no actual outcome. <laughs> yeah. So you're getting these automated messages, right? So the Hey, Mark, let's connect because we've connected to a bunch of people the same, or, you know, divert that version of that. What are they doing with that? Like 50%, no, more. 90% of the people that send me that shit, sending me a pitch afterwards. They're just, you know, they're just, they're adding me to their network just so they can collect connections. And actually, like, it's mindless. It doesn't, what, what are they trying to achieve? What are they going to do when they get their 5,000 connections? What are they going to do when they get their 10,000 connections? Strip my email and send, and send me, you know, a newsletter so I can unsubscribe? I just don't understand what the outcome is. If you're trying to drive five, most people can't handle five new conversations a day. So why try and drive 200 new connections, Stu? Well, so I was just going to say, like, I think um, this is probably a good point to dive back into what is the, the use case exactly. Because I think hearing what you're, what you're saying, Mark, you're obviously coming at it from a fairly acquisition-oriented, you know, kind of sales point of view. Whereas for me, you know, going back to that example I gave last year, I actually want to build a, you know, as big a sort of pool of connections within my target audience as I possibly can because research from my peers is a really important part of what I'm doing. So the more of those people I'm connected to and can have useful discussions with and, you know, get to know, the more I can kind of gather from a market insight perspective. And it's not about like, you know, stripping out details and trying to contact them with a with thing later on. It's a, it's a much longer term play for me of being able to say, well, you know, say I wanted to then invite all of those people to a webinar in a year's time, or I want to, you know, survey people about X, Y, Z things. We, you know, hopefully they are familiar with me a little bit. I'd be familiar with them. And it's not going to be a mega surprise if I suddenly find some stuff around, you know, around about what I'm then doing. Yeah. So building that owned audience is, is super important. And I think it's something that's hard to do in the marketing space and where people fall down, going back to what Andy was saying, is like getting this stuff right in socials. Like, to be honest, it's pretty fucking boring. Like you just need to be, consistent, have decent content, just consistently be present doing things all the time. And the minute you stop doing that is where you start to, I think, run into a lot of these challenges because people kind of forget you there and like are suddenly surprised that you're contacting them and, and all the other stuff. And to your point about building your personal brand, like you have to do all the things that you would do to build a corporate brand to, to build that. Yeah, that's true. You know, the automation can help you with consistency. I don't think it helps you with authenticity. That's obvious. Well, actually, I think it's obvious. I don't know about that. I think um, I think you, because I get I, I see a lot of this as well. I have to refrain from diving into these debates in the public space because they're just you know it's, it's pointless. You're never going to convince people that think it's inauthentic. Where I see people being you know beaten with the inauthenticity stick is like you either don't write very good copy that doesn't sound very authentic, which I personally don't think I do. I think like the things that I said are very authentic because I write them and it's stuff that I think. And I think the other thing is exactly to your point. If you're just turning on automation just because you can, then it will seem really inauthentic. And you haven't sat down and done like the 90% of the work, which is planning what you actually have to say to somebody and why they would be interested, then it is going to come off as really inauthentic because it's just going to be some bullshit you've pulled from wherever. Okay, let me blow your mind. If you don't know that it's automation, is it automation? Well, exactly. Yeah. If the message that I write is so good and so targeted, Right? <laughs> is it automated, Andy? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I, I think it's hard to do that. Right? It's hard to get that authenticity in it. So I, I don't even try. And I think that's the point. Like my automated stuff doesn't need to be targeted because it's kind of tailored to that audience. It's not overly asking for anything. And, and you, made, you made a point around scraping people's um, 
quite like details from their, their LinkedIn. It's a perfectly valid use case, right? Like you can pull using like your, you know, pull all your details off, put it into an email enrichment tool, and you've now got a great marketing list, which, um, and this is where you really need to pull out my voice, could go into your, your marketing organization's mailing list and it's not hurting your employer brand whatsoever. They're now getting great marketing from a whole team that puts this stuff together from your company. Uh, now, obviously, there's spam act to be watchful for and, and that kind of thing, and you want to make sure that which, – Which may or may not be a breach of the spam act. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and uh, location, depending on where you are. Correct. All of, those, all of those things to be taken into consideration. But, but you know, it's all a numbers <laughs> game, and if you can make some of it automated and still make sure you're being your authentic self in those specific sales cycles, I mean, that's – you know, it's a balancing act we're all playing, isn't it? Yeah. So, Andy – and Stu, can you go? So, Andy, maybe you go first. So, tell us about as much as you would like to about your sales process and which part of that's automated with what tools. And then, Stu, maybe if you can also share what you see work really well from your clients using Meet Linda. Andy, what are you prepared to share? Yeah, so like, okay, tech stack. Like I said, I don't really use social posting. I actually just write my own posts and then just naturally, LinkedIn is a good way to dis- distract the day, isn't it? So, shares and things happen pretty naturally through social. I use LinkedIn Helper for that profile automation. So going through, sending connect requests uh, at scale, you know, the, that whole play that I just walked you through, pretty similar to that, visiting people that kind of- So it's 100 a day? Yeah, around 100 a day. Not not pushing it too much, but then there'll be messages in there. So it's like 150, 200 actions per day. It's not stupid. I don't want to fall out now, but I don't spend any time doing that. That just happens in the background while I'm doing my normal job. So I might do three or four meetings that same day uh, like while we've been on this call, a ton of actions have happened while we're talking and it's, you know, I'm not concentrating, I'm not thinking about like, getting other work done. I don't do any like pod automation. That's another one we haven't kind of touched on, but I think that's something to, to consider too around those pods that like and share each other's content. Um, although I'm part of a couple of groups that kind of natively do that. They're not, not an automation tool, but there's, there's groups that you can join that, that do that kind of thing too. In terms of contact finder, I'm a big fan of, of Lucia um, because they have the mobile phone there as well. I've got Rocket Reach, Scout, uh, Lead Given, a bunch of other kind of contact finders that I'll, I'll mostly use through my day-to-day as I'm looking at specific people on specific accounts and pull their details out, although occasionally I'll go through and do that in email enrichment piece as well to try and, you know, once I've done a bunch of connections, I'll scrape that data, put it in an email enrichment um, thing and get a, a file out of that that has their emails attached. There's also paid services that do the, basically the same thing as that process. So sometimes we'll leverage those and, and that just does the whole thing. That they just give you a form that has emails attached to it. Uh, I then use um, Sales Loft, which is pretty expensive, but it's a great tool for sales process automation. So it just reminds me who to call, when to call them, what emails I've sent, what emails I need to send, connect with these people on LinkedIn. That kind of, like it's, it's a really good kind of just keeps my reps up as a sales rep. And then Salesforce obviously is the point of truth. And we haven't talked about that, but how crap is Salesforce? Uh, but, but that's the, the point of truth for opportunities and reporting back to, to management and all that kind of stuff as well. And then there's other tools like Vidyard for video um, is a really great one. You know, I think LinkedIn have their own kind of video and, and um, audio piece as well now. And then I haven't used it, but there's like other stuff around proposals. So you can track who's read which parts of your proposal. So there's, there's, there's tons of tech in my stack. So that's smart links. Yeah, smart links. Um, there's one called there's an Auss- Advanced. Uh, yeah, good, good Aussie one called Quilla, which you can send out your proposal. It'll actually track which part of the proposal they're looking at. I haven't actually used it, but I have a, a colleague that does. So that's, I mean, that's the overarching tech stack. I mean, obviously um, meetings as well, so like Zoom and Teams and uh, that kind of stuff. Does that, does that make sense? That pretty much covers it up. And what I'm gathering, I mean, your LinkedIn automation is so entwined into your what I would consider to be a relatively advanced tech stack, you know, it's hard to allocate how successful that LinkedIn or the social automation component is on its own. That, that's it. Okay. So, but can you provide any kind of... Yeah. So last year I hit 130% of goal approximately. Most of those deals came from referrals, which are, you know, we can track them back as that's our biggest thing, which, you know, arguably comes from the network growth. But um, of the deals I brought in, I think about 20% of those came from the LinkedIn automation piece. And so that's it's pretty good. You know, it's, I'm not spending 20% of my time on it. I'm spending maybe 5% of my week on, on LinkedIn automation. 
and it's having an outsized impact. So it's well worth just having in there as part of the overall stack that I've got going on. That couple of minutes that you shared there is super valuable. So thank you for doing that, Stu. What are you saying with your clients? You've got a slightly broader view because it's not you're not just looking at one person. You're looking at a, a bigger piece of the pie, if you like. Yes. A bigger sample size. Yeah. I mean, just to, I mean, to follow on from exactly what Andy was saying, I think we, um, our customers across Linda fall into, into two groups. There's the, the multi-user group, if you like, and then there's the individuals. And there's a real array of levels of sophistication and I suppose purpose across the whole customer base, um, across all of the, um, you know, the, the markets we're in. But I suppose to give you a flavor, like where we're aiming and the, the use case the platform grew out of is that larger process, you know, scaled piece. So where we see people making it work really well is when they're trying to plug those gaps that Andy just talked about. So the whole platform's geared around measurement and management across multiple profiles in a compliant and safe manner. So that challenge that Andy was talking about, and you know, he's in a good position where he can he can measure and directly attribute um, a proportion of his success back to that automation piece. Like I see a lot of our customers are, are struggling with that. And there's a lot of the service providers and the, um, I guess the sort of the agency customers get that, but I think it is a challenge for them as well. Um, there's a lot of internal teams that are running stuff on it. So for communications, marketing or sales purposes, who I think appreciate the, you know, the measurement side of things as well. And again, this is a gap for, LinkedIn for me is incredibly bad for measuring things. So like the time consuming nature is the one big problem, but being able to actually measure what's happening is just shit. Like it's super hard on the platform. Um, so that's, that's a, a big gap that we're, that we're trying to plug with people. But I mean, to give you some examples from, you know, some across the bigger, the bigger businesses that are working with it, a lot of them are, are either trying to generate brand awareness and just sort of add a thread of direct communication to their wider marketing mix, which, you know, is from the use case that, that Andy's talking about. Some of them are a bit more sales focused. Some are promoting events or engagement. Some are sharing content. Like there's a whole array of stuff that's happening that's working super well there. I suppose the other big thing that we help solve for them is the fact that once information is pulled into Linda and becomes, you know, effectively business day or exactly as it does when it goes into like a CRM, we also mitigate the risk of, you know, say that person leaves the business, they're not taking their whole book and network with them because just like if you're pushing stuff to Salesforce, as soon as a you know a connection becomes a prospect, the the business then owns that data. Um, so that's another big challenge with this sort of way of working. And I think why a lot of people shy away from it potentially is, is that you know that issue. So that's the that's the bigger end. And the individuals who are using it are, are just doing that. I think on a smaller scale to a greater or lesser degree of sophistication. So yeah, there's people who are just running it for themselves. We have some people who are you know like EAs, PAs who run it on behalf of senior execs who just want to build their profile. There's individual, you know, sort of business development or salespeople. There's like there's a huge array of different um, different use cases. But I've been I've been very surprised going back to what Andy was saying about what works and what doesn't based on my own, I think, assumptions about it. Because some people run these like huge campaigns, you know, like massive lists, um, just connecting with people, no message or go straight in for a pitch of a certain thing. Some of them work like really well. What does really well mean? Like, you know, 5%? Well, I would say those, uh, 50%. Yeah, for some of the straight up pitch ones, we've seen, you know, 5 to 10% response for some of them. Um, I'm just trying to think through, uh, just looking through. And what, well, when you say a pitch, let's put some clarity around this for the people that are listening. So what, what would a straight pitch, you know, like? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, good, good point. So, so a straight up pitch to me is like, if you just, you know, you're, you're kind of firing out your thing that you want, like in a connection request, for example. So someone's just like, you know, hi, Mark, big rates connect. Here's this thing that I'm doing. Uh, do you want to do it? Yes or no? And I was like, man, I would, I would never do that. Do you need a hand with your with search engine optimization? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guaranteed number one ranking on the Google or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> First one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, some of that stuff, I'm like, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. But these people are doing it and it's working super well. So I think I've, I've learned some, uh, yeah, some really interesting lessons from watching what happens across our customer base. Those numbers scare me. They don't surprise me because there's so many people doing it that things must be working. Otherwise, you know, why would people persist? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody must be responding. So my favorite thing, and I guess I kind of wanted to wrap up a little bit with this thought, and I'm suspecting that it's going to trigger a response from both of you. But, you know, there's this great saying that I've had forever that was given to me by Jill Rowling and when she was the social media manager for Oracle. And she said, um, and she stole it from somebody else, and I just don't know who that was, unfortunately, but it was, you know, a fool with a tool is still a fool. And, I think, <laughs> and the concept was, you know, if you're bad at selling offline, then you're still going to be bad at selling online. 
But it's really relevant here because if you're, you know, if you're terrible at selling and you create bad messaging and you add automation to it, you're just going to magnify that really bad message. And I think that's what we see a lot of and we can acknowledge that because it's so bad. But what I'm really intrigued about, and I don't have an answer, is if I'm really good at creating messaging and I send messages out to 40 or 50 people and get 25% response rate, chances are they don't know that's automated. So as much as a fool with a tool is still a fool, a guru with a tool is still, you know, a superstar with a, with a tool is still a superstar, but you just don't know that, they, that they're automating it. What are your thoughts around that, Stu? Well, yes, I, I mean, I, I agree. So the concise part is I, I completely agree. I think, um, I think automation is an easy scapegoat for people who are just, you know, either don't think through what they're trying to do or like, you know, it's like if I, you turn up to try and, you know, I don't know, dig a foundation and you brought a teaspoon with you, right? It's like not going to, it's not fit for the job and it's never going <laughs> to, it's never going to go very well. So like, you know, an idiot would think that that would work. So I totally agree. And I think the best kinds of automation to me fall into one of two categories. You either don't know it's automated, exactly as you just said, or it's personalized and relevant enough because you've done your homework that you don't mind that it's automated. So like Correct. every time, I mean, I keep banging on about email just because it's such an established example, but I'm sure you two both know exactly the same thing. You sign up for, you go onto anybody's website and you have to give them their email address. You fucking know you're going to get like a million marketing emails afterwards. Yep. And then... The only, I, I unsubscribe from the majority just because they're irrelevant and rubbish, but there's a small proportion where you either don't get it straight away or like it's actually relevant and, you know, their automation set up effectively where I'm like, do you know what? This is actually fine. I'll, you know, I'll leave that. And if you can, if you can hit that sort of space, I personally don't see an issue with doing that at a one-to-one chat level because it's happening right now in chatbots on a million websites anyway. And it's only going to, it's only going to get, you know, more better or worse, depending on your opinions, as AI-driven, you know, solutions become more prevalent. So ah, yes, we're going to see more of it for sure. There's no, there is no question. Yeah. And to me, you either get used to it now or you have some sort of, you know, rage-filled heart attack and die before that happens. So like, it's, you know. Old man rages at clouds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Andy, what were your thoughts on that? I, I just think you can't ignore automation, right? It's, it's here, like you say, it's, you know, there's more and more AI, there's more and more um, smarts out there. There's, you know, if I'm not using it, I think it's a bigger risk than if I am. So, you know, even if my, I think my messaging is pretty good, but, but even if my messaging is not bang on, the risk of me not trying stuff is greater because there's so many other people in the market spending the same message and, and getting out there. That if I'm not out there using these tools, then I'm just going to miss out on that revenue. Hey, let's take a quick break and take care of a little bit of business. We'll be right back. If you need more conversations with your ideal buyers or to simply sharpen your prospecting skills, check out Mark's latest book, Tactical Pipeline Growth. It's a complete prospecting guide. It outlines step-by-step the process to build a strong and healthy pipeline. Mark has included a huge amount of valuable sales material, such as templates, call and email scripts, the best cadence plans, as well as social selling templates for you to use and start prospecting straight away. Tactical Pipeline Growth is available from Amazon or directly from www.markmc.com. Okay, let's get back into the podcast. It seems to me like this conversation is coming to a conclusion and it's like if you're sending good messaging and the messaging is hitting the target, it actually doesn't matter whether it's automated because it's valuable. And if you just need to get five conversations a day and you can do that with 10 pieces of outreach because you're very good at messaging and I would consider myself to be in that bracket, I don't need automation because I only need my five conversations a week, right? So I can do that really easy in a very short period of time. If you're rubbish and you get a ratio of one to 1,000, you know, so you get one response per 1,000 outreach and you think the best way for me to get those five is to increase the 1,000 to 5,000, then you're in trouble. Mm. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so you, you clearly need to improve your message. And then what I like about Andy's example is he's not sending 500 connection requests a, a day. You know, he's not visiting 500 profiles a day times yeah. six days a week, you know. So, and I think so many people are, and that's where you, you fall foul of the law, so to speak. Totally. Yeah. I think you just got to, you know, it all comes down to planning, you know, it's like the, which is a, is a military man, Mark, I'm sure you will appreciate. But, you know, it's like if you generate more than you can deal with, 
you know, that's a bad outcome for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't generate enough, that's a bad outcome. So just, you know, think before you do it, right, about what you can actually <laughs> manage. So if, exactly as you just said, it's like, yeah, I'd never try and generate more response that I can physically manage because then I just got like a ball run and I'm like burning opportunity. It's not quality or quantity. It's quality and then you add automation. I thought you were going to try and create a new word to finish off the podcast there, Mark. <laughs> that'd be good. Uh, that, that, if I was clever enough, that'd be a great way to finish, wouldn't it? There we go. OED 2021. <laughs> Gents, any closing comments? Anything we've not covered? Uh, so, Andy, you mentioned pods. So there's Elkapod, which is closed down. There are automated pods. And there's another one called Podmaster or something. I had it somewhere. I can't remember. I've lost it now. Just to close that loop. Anything else? I mean, look, for me, like the the other perennial challenge for a lot of people in this space, going back to Andy's point, is measuring the impact of all this stuff. And I think, you know, we could have a whole other separate conversation about how to track and hook together the the essential tools that you need to sort of make these processes work. But I think the important thing is, you know, to just do it in a small way first and just do more of a, you know, one action to one outcome type approach so you can understand what, what is improving your outcomes and what isn't. And then you can kind of worry about the complexity later, which I, I feel can be a bit of a distraction at the start. Yeah. Mr. Mystery Man? Uh, no, I think I've... Mr. Anonymous? <laughs> I think we nailed it. Look, I think I've learned a lot, right, from this one and, and this different approach we can all take. The authenticity thing is something I, I always am mindful of and, and, and not letting go of but um but you know i've got to be able to scale myself because there's only one of me yeah it, it takes on a whole different dimension when you go up the scale and start doing those multi-user stuff like Stu um is talking about and, and and managing a whole team but when it's just yourself it's, it's really for me it's more around scalability of my own efforts um and that's why i use automation yeah and actually can i leave you with one sorry one one final one point one point mark actually on, on authenticity one thing that's a really easy way to be more authentic, which not a lot of people do, is just don't just use other channels to communicate what you're doing. So like rather than just sending a message. So I use Loom Loads, for example, which is a free video and screen sharing tool. You can install a Chrome extension, record anything anywhere. But record a bit of a video to send in your message instead of just sending some copy. Like immediately makes you stand out or just put a bit of effort into the stuff you're sending. Like you know, it's, it's things like that that make things more authentic rather than just that. I think everyone expects the stock standard, you know, copy message possible link to somewhere. But if you can do it differently, that will, to me, generate a better result. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Well, let's round that out. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast to talk about automation. Mr. Anonymous, appreciate you being so transparent. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Learned a lot. And Stu. Glad to have you back. I'm sure we'll have you back at another point to talk about something else equally as exciting. Oh, mate, it's it, always a pleasure. And that was, yeah, that was super interesting. It was, um, yeah, very, uh, I'm having ideas now. <laughs> so if you're listening and you've got a different concept, you've got some tools that are working really well or a different usage, feel free to, you know, reach out to us on LinkedIn and share exactly what it is that you're doing that's working well or, or that's not working well. Or if you completely disagree with us and think we've missed the mark, I'd, I'd be happy to hear about that as well. Thanks for listening to the Boss Podcast. We'll see you all next week. Please help others just like you find this podcast by spreading the word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you source your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Boss Podcast. Join us next time for even more tactics, discussion, and ideas to help you improve your social outreach.